Hello, Texans, and welcome to the program. Mark Vandermeer with you tonight. Texans All Access and the General. From the Houston Chronicle, John McClain joins us here from the Hyundai Texans radio studio across the hall from the locker room, which still exists, sort of, because they're knocking down walls and renovating it. General, how are you tonight? Mark, I like to come over here when uh, it used to be quiet (laughs) when the players were gone and everybody was on vacation. But now, because so many things are being redone, it's a lot, a little livelier than it is in regular season with all this construction. All this construction, which has to take place now because uh, once the players get back, coaches get back, you can't do it. Although you'll have a couple of extra weeks at the Greenbrier in you the know, beginning to do some tweaks. They need to redo the media room. That's the only room that's not being redone. Oh, really? Specifically the Chronicle office, which you <laughs> stole from us a few years ago. I'm sorry about that. And had redone. Then you mm-hmm. moved in here. So the least they could do is redo that room over there where well, we are. Would you like some decorations and things like that? Yeah, I'd like you've... Last year during the rodeo, they stole my big gray chair I'd sat in from the get-go. And it disappeared. Rodeo always comes in, and they take yeah, over yeah, yeah, yeah. all the rooms. They change so a lot. I look everywhere for my chair. Mm-hmm. Usually, like, our refrigerator will be in here, and there will be chairs in the closet. I went up and down the hall. I went everywhere. Somebody did 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 off with my big gray easy chair that I use for ever. I just like to give my gray chair back. Well, you know, it's funny because you're here more than any other media member. Obviously, yep. you're here all the time. You're here every week doing this. You talk to Bill O'Brien, Brian Gain, etc. And so you feel it. You see it. It's funny. I was talking to our interns and rookies the other day. Internal kind of thing and. Just sort of veteran senior managers, me and a couple of others, and Greg Grissom, Jennifer Davenport, we were talking to the rookies and the interns. And I said, look, I almost pinch myself every day coming to work in a football stadium. You know, we work in a football stadium. But even me, as much as I love this, every once in a while I'll just catch a glimpse of the bowl because very often those doors are closed. They're doing events in there, and you don't see it. But when you see the seats, and there's no field down right now, but you just feel the buzz being here. And a lot of people probably have the same kind of experience driving by the stadium on the South Loop or Kirby or wherever. How do you feel about that? I know that you're very grateful to be a part of this industry. Well, first of all, um, when I go by Kirby or 610 or Fannin, whatever way I'm going, I always look over at the stadiums, and I start with the dome because I start going to the dome when it opened, and uh, my parents would bring my brother and I down here to watch the Colt 45s for three years, and we got to kind of see the Astrodome going up just for one weekend each summer. And uh, then when the dome opened, we came. We could only afford one weekend. There were all these little motels around here. And, of course, as kids, you can't wait to get in the swimming pool, especially when it's hot. And uh, can you imagine playing baseball outdoors here? Oh, I didn't think anything about it, but my parents, you know, kids don't, but my parents complain constantly about the heat, the humidity, and the mosquitoes. But back then, beer was in bottles, and it was really cold. And they never made us leave early because they know how much we'd go to two games, and they know how much it meant to us. We didn't have much money, but my dad made sure – we got a Coke and popcorn and maybe a hot dog, Cracker Jacks, whatever. At a Colt 45 game. At a Colt 45 game. And I know uh, my, since they're both dead, they wouldn't want me to say if this lied. They drank a lot of cold beer. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I'd, I'd snuck a taste one time and hated it and had no interest. And they're always putting that cold bottle up against their face. And now the idea of sitting outside at this time of year mm-hmm. for nine innings, and we got to, we'd get there an hour, an hour and a half early, all those hours, 
doesn't appeal to me. Well, let me ask you this. The way that that stadium was configured, I would hope that home plate, if you're a batter, you're facing east, right? So that way in the evening, the sun's setting behind the stands. And, yeah, the players have to deal with it more than anything. But the, at least the stands would be sort of sheltered once it got past 7, There was no roof. There was no roof. No, nope, you're just right It was right wide there. open, yeah. Yep. And uh, and I'll tell you an interesting story, and I'm sorry if I've told you again, but we're talking for the listeners. Yeah. Um, um, one time, uh, Bob McNair called me, and he asked me if I could meet him in the parking lot of the dome, that, the Merworth entrance, and I said, sure. And uh, so I came over, and there construction construction was being put up everything was about ready to start on the stadium so we walk and we walk i'm following bob and he stops and i stopped and i said what's up he said see this circle there was a circle and we're standing in the parking lot and i said what's what's the big deal he said well they tell me this is going to be the logo on the 50 yard line oh my and i'm like whoa and so we're just kind of standing there with our hands on our hips kind of turned in a circle looking trying to imagine what the stadium could possibly look like when it's just a thing on the ground with all the construction crews coming in and it was just fascinating and then when charlie cashley was hired and they had that building over on 610 you could go in the lounge area and see the clock counting down the days and because it was on the top you could see the construction going on in the stadium that was fascinating and then the, maybe a night before, a couple nights before that Miami preseason opener, I came over here and uh, I walked out onto that logo mm-hmm. where Bob and I stood, and they were doing things like flushing toilets and everything, getting ready for that game. And I took out my cell and I called Jeff Fisher, the Titans coach, who'd been the Oilers coach through the move, and Floyd Race, and they had really suffered with a bad stadium bad facility and I said guys I said let me tell you where I am (laughs) and I told them and uh, they couldn't imagine it either and then of course the Miami game was a couple nights later but so I remember those things when I come by here yep and uh, and and it's it's some I can't wait now that the dome is going to be renegated renegated renovated with Ed Emmett's plan I can't wait till it's done right and uh, because I want to go back and see in the dome because so much of my career was spent there and uh monday night we're having the robert brazil roast with all these oilers coming back and hall of famers and that's where i covered all of them and um one time in 2011 or 12 it was either brooks reed or jj watt asked me that if i would go to with them sometime on a golf cart inside the dome would i tell them the history and all that and i said hell yeah yeah, I said I can tell you a lot of great stories, and then but we couldn't get in at that point. They're afraid the roof was going to fall on our heads or something. And you might today JJ could probably get it redone, right? <laughs> like right now, if he wanted with a to. GoFundMe kind of thing. And I started thinking of all the things when they asked me that I would tell them about that stadium, what had happened where, mm-hmm. and all the things that had gone on besides football. And um, but um, here's where Elvis stood. Here's where Elvis stood. Here's where know, Muhammad the Ali Beatles, was. Muhammad Ali knocked out. Wait, wait, the Beatles? I thought they were at Sam Houston Coliseum. 
Uh, but didn't they come to the Dome I later? I don't think so. Their last tour was 65. Maybe 66 they Candlestick Park was their last concert. Okay, well, you're right, because then they would have had to have been here the year it was open. Boy, I pulled that out of thin freaking and air. You're, you're probably right. I know they were Sam Houston called Sam. That was way before I got mm-hmm. here. So I do. I, I never get tired of walking up to the stadium, walking in the stadium, and I always, always look over at the Dome. Well, it's uh, it's something to see now. The renovation are, is it going to be a parking garage or something else? Yeah, they're el- they're elevating the yeah. floor because mm-hmm. people. It, it always yeah. aggravates me when I see people go or hear them go. It's so small, boy! The dome is so small. Yeah. It's like a parking it's garage to energy. And I say, yeah, that's the first floor is underground. And, yeah. and unless they've been there, they wouldn't know that. But they're elevating that, and. Uh, um, so now they 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 they're doing it more power to them. I hope it works out the way they want. And uh so I I'm assuming like everybody else that there's a lot of people from Houston get a big kick out of coming by this complex no matter which angle they're taking. Sure. Uh my first experience in the stadium, I toured it and Bill Van Rysdan, the program director of Sports Radio 610 at the time, showed me the TV booth and said this is the radio booth. Uh, in, in fairness to him, I mean, it was just a total construction zone. Who knew? I thought, this is a pretty good view. And then we went up to the press box, and the elevators weren't working, so we well, climbed the stairs. Well, tell them where the TV view booth is. The TV booth is uh, on the suite <laughs> level, okay? So it's a really nice view. But I don't complain. I, I like being up high where we yeah, are. I don't know. I, well, we're we're above high. I don't know how you see what you see. It is amazing binoculars. to me. But I, I use binoculars from anywhere because I like to get in tight and uh, see what's going on. You know, it's kind of like uh, when you call a game here, you are sort of above it, so you think you see things open up a little bit more than you would say at New England, where you are low, but you're you're almost too low there, for my view. You're almost too low. You have sort of an ex- obstructed view when they're on the near sideline because players are actually blocking the sideline. So if a player has a catch along the sideline right below you, you really can't tell if their feet are in or not. You can't see them, so you wait for the call. Anyway, the woe is me. I love calling well, the got, games wherever I am. I got one more story. Yep. The NFL owners had a meeting here at the stadium before the first season. It was in the off season. The stadium was be say it would have been in in March, and uh, or maybe May. Stadium was going to open in August. They had had the owners on the club level, and I remember I was talking to Jerry Jones, and he walks over and he opens a door, takes a couple of steps out into the stadium, looks around, goes. Hooey! I got to get me one of these. Oh boy, that's right. I remember going to Texas Stadium, thinking this place should be awesome. This is Texas Stadium. I've seen it on television my whole life. I've never been in here. This is going to be great. And oh my gosh, what a dump! It reminded me of the Texas version of the Orange Bowl in a way. Probably the Cotton Bowl is a better example of the Texas version of the Orange Bowl because I was very familiar with that facility, of course. But Texas Stadium, John. You're a drenched rat when you call a game there. I mean, we're up in the rafters. It's humid. It's crazy. And I never knew that the interior of the dome part of Texas Stadium was so – it was just like two-by-fours and a you know curved whatever that material was thrown on top of it. Too bad you never were at old Cleveland Stadium. Oh, Cleveland Municipal because Stadium. Because they didn't have an elevator for a long time. Oh, my and gosh. So you would have to walk up the steps – Sometime they would have ice on them, mm-hmm. and they oh, had a PR gosh. guy named Nick Wallach who was really old. He was in great shape, and we believed it was because he had to walk up those steps. And then when you got up in the press box, you had to. They built a radio booth, 
uh, out over on that. You had to go up to the roof of the press box, and then they built a walkway like going out to the 50, and then there was just a row of booths for radio. And I think they were open. And I went up there to do pregame. And plus, I like jumping over a rail, walking out on the roof on the end, and then watching the fans come from downtown into the stadium and wondering why these people are crazy. It's so cold up here. Why wouldn't we want to stay home? But when you were broadcasting, you were literally over the field where if somebody was on the sideline by you, you would have to lean forward and look down while you were broadcasting. That was a dump after a while but a lot of history it had a lot of history and one of the one of the funniest signs i've ever seen was when art modell and and bill art modell announced he's moving the team and the Mm -hmm. oilers played there and there were so many signs about him and it was the language was terrible and the people nothing they could do for for him around the stadium but in the stadium a sign would pop up and they'd go get him and Somebody dropped a sign down in front of Art's booth where it hung, but you couldn't reach out and get it. And it was one of these that kind of turned. And on both sides, it had three words, <laughs> Art's a fart. Oh, my gosh. Right <laughs> and it, there. And it, it turned, and people, would, as they saw it, they would cheer. And at one point, there was some executive climbing out of the edge, reaching for it to try to get it. And eventually, somebody came up above them and got it. But people were like, that sums it up. And I felt uh, that there was a lot worse than that. But I've never seen a stadium where so many fans took so many signs that were so ugly and vile and nasty because their team was being taken away. Uh, the L.A. Rams play at the Coliseum still before they move into their what a new facility. Dump. It is a dump. And by the way, they're redoing some of it because USC is still going to play well, there. I don't know how they even recruit with dressing rooms like that. And, I don't and know. Just, it's amazing. You I guess the, the tradition. And it's on campus and they, yeah. they draw well. But, man, we couldn't even go in the dressing rooms and interview players last year. They're so bad. There's some sort of stadium cam that I found online where, and you can search it, I guess, listeners. But I saw the renovation taking place. They're redoing a lot of seats and things. And the field, too. And it looks like, I mean, I'm having a hard time believing it's going to be ready in, what, seven, eight weeks when you have to play there for the preseason game. But I would imagine they'll do it somehow. But did you feel any buzz going in there this past season? I know the Texans were injured at the time. You had no Deshaun Watson. But as far as being in that building again, because I know you've covered other NFL games there. I think I've told you this story, but one of their executives told me afterward that if Watson played, they would have sold, you know, yep. tennis was what, like 55 or 60? Yep. They would have sold another 30,000 seats because he'd gotten so much attention out there. Yeah. Going back to Clemson and everything he'd done with the Texans was on all the shows constantly. They're talking about him on the talk shows. And I, I thought that was interesting because it's hard to gauge since so many teams sell out even though people don't always show but i thought that was just amazing that they thought they could have sold thirty thousand more tickets because of watson and remember when we were we were there they were building that soccer stadium next door just like our soccer stadium downtown the spider web the exact same thing maybe bigger and uh and it would drive me crazy if i was playing there and i see this expensive soccer stadium going up next door and they're not doing more for the football stadium that has so much unbelievable tradition. A lot of tradition there, no doubt. Okay, AFC South. I want 
you to tell me what the record will be of whoever wins the division. All right? You can tell me that next. Tell me the record. You don't even have to pick the winner, but we can hypothesize about that. But I'm thinking that the record might not be what other people think. And we'll talk about other things related to the Houston Texans, of course, and go around the league, as always, with the general in studio on Texans All Access. Texans All Access. Keeping you company on a Thursday evening with the General John McClain. I'm Mark Vandermeer, Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio here at NRG Stadium. All right, General, first segment, I wanted to get to this, but we talked about stadiums and NRG Stadium and some of the places around the league the Texans are playing at. By the way, before we get into the record of the AFC South champion, whoever that might be, John Harris and I talked about the road schedule. I'm thinking this road schedule it's kind of brutal. You know, a lot of people think, ah, based on this and that and records of teams in years past, I always think that's a very tough way to evaluate a schedule because when you look at opening on the road against two playoff teams and one of them a Super Bowl participant, when you look at going to the Northeast four times, and I don't think the Giants are going to be as bad as they were. I, I don't know about the Redskins, but that could be a tough out. And you're playing the defending Super Bowl champions second to last week of the season at their place with maybe a whole lot on the line, I'm thinking it's a pretty tough road schedule. On paper, the Texans have the easiest schedule in the league. That's that's, that's because Washington, the Giants, Denver AFC was down. AFC East, AFC South. Yep. Well, well no, not, not AFC the South, South anymore. No, you're right. No, because I think that's still Cleveland, Indy. Well, yeah, Indy. Thank you, Andrew. But Luck you playing. do have the easiest schedule on paper, but that always changes. Yeah. Or we wouldn't have half the league with new playoff teams every year right um i think i'm I, I feel this way now just because i would never predict this that based on what's happened the last two times texans have played at foxborough there's a chance they're gonna win this game if they win this game i think they would definitely beat tennessee and start two and oh before they play the giants here can you imagine how crazy people would be over the Texans if they did that. But realistically, if they go one and one, that'd be great. But they got the Patriots' respect. They did not have mm-hmm. the Patriots' respect when they were playing them when Schaub was here and, and they kind of looked down on everybody. But in that playoff game, one-score game in the fourth quarter before Osweiler started throwing interceptions and then having to rally to win last year on Brady's miraculous drive and pass to Cooks after Watson had staked them to a lead. So I think uh, the Denver, you know, Denver wasn't very good last year. I don't think – I think Vance Joseph will be the first coach to get fired if they struggle with Hugh Jackson at number two. So uh, Case Keenum, that'll be a great game going against Case. And Cleveland, Cleveland's going to be better. So, yeah, I don't think the schedule's well, that's here, though. easy. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. But there's a lot of teams that are trying to say, oh, yeah, but look, you get to play the 4-12 and Texans. But then people are going, whoa. You know, look at yeah. the players they got back. Mm-hmm. I think it was Albert Breer in his Thursday column on uh, MMQB said that he th- they were at the question was, will the Jaguars win a division? He said he was going with Houston based on all the things about players being healthy, but especially with Watson. Yep. As far as the records, last year Jacksonville's 10-6, and six, Tennessee 9-7. and seven. I believe because the division's going to be tougher that – 
it wouldn't surprise me if the Texans and Jaguars finished ten and six, and the Titans nine and seven or eight and eight. Yeah. So I'm going to say the record to win the division is going to be ten and six. I don't see anybody going like thirteen and three or twelve and four, considering how tough I believe the division will be, especially if Andrew Luck comes all the way back. Yeah, you think about the beating each other up factor in this division. It's stronger than ever. And I'll say that this is – the AFC South did not exist until 2002 when the Texans came into the league. That's when they divided the conference into four divisions. There was an AFC Central still the year before the Texans entered the league. I think this is the toughest the division has ever been. Now, there were years early on where it was top-heavy with the Colts and Peyton Manning and with Steve McNair – and at one point, they were co-MVPs, right? Wasn't McNair a co-MVP McNair with Manning? And Manning were co-MVPs. In the same division, that's impressive. So you could say, wow, they're so top-heavy. The Jaguars still had Mark Brunel, but you know what? He was playing on a subpar team, and the Texans were an expansion team. So I think top to bottom, especially if luck plays, then it's the toughest this division's ever been. So what do you think the record's going to be for the winner? I think it's 10-6 and six also. I, I, that sounds about right. I would not be utterly shocked, though, if 9-7 and seven does it, based on the fact that you're going to have a little bit of a comeback maybe for the Jags. Hey, maybe they take off from here. I don't know. But everybody, Doug Marone said himself, no one, we're not going to sneak up on anyone. That's what it was. No one's going to be you know, saying, well, the Jaguars, this should be an easy out. I mean, come on. And uh, they probably weren't saying it at all last year after seeing what they did to the Texans in the opener. I mean, the horse was out of the barn week one. And yeah, what are the odds that they're only going to lose one starter? Yeah, that's the other thing. They're going to have some injuries this year. They're the opposite situation of the Texans. Utter, total lucky health. Texans had unlucky lack of health. So that could really change. And a real X factor here is with the Titans. You know, you had a winning team, a team that won a playoff game. You have Mike Vrabel coming in, new coordinators, a completely new situation. You add Deion Lewis, some other additions as well that could be really interesting. Malcolm Butler, I'm not saying he is a world beater, but you have – a lot of different additions to that organization that could really help it out. Who's the best quarterback in the division? Is it Luck if fully healthy? I think you have to give it to him. But if Luck is not quite there, the, well, the best Watson. quarterback lives here. It's Watson. Yeah. Mariota has to prove he can stay healthy for a full season. Mm-hmm. And he has yet to do that. And um, also the Titans' defense should be a lot better. First two draft choices were defense. Rashawn Evans, linebacker, Honor Landry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People, I wonder if they know what I'm saying. Honor Landry instead of Harold, because Vince Young announced him as Honor yeah, Landry. Yeah. So Landry's nickname in Nashville is Honor. People not even call him Harold. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. He's, they 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 introduced him when he signed as Harold Honor Landry. Well, it could be. He's worse. got a good. Yeah, I guess he, he's got a good sense of humor about it. But their pass rush should be better. You know, they've got a lot of pieces in place, and uh, everybody here thinks Mike Vrabel's going to be a hell of a head coach, and so we'll see. It's a, it, He knows, too. He's replacing a guy that went to the divisional round of the playoffs, and nobody expected it. Right. And he knows he's got to win, or those people turn on him fast. Well, Dean Pease, as his defensive coordinator, and I've said it many times, that's probably the smartest move he's made. Getting him to come out of retirement. He doesn't, doesn't have to coach defense. Getting Matt LaFleur I thought was good, too. I can't remember if I told you the story. I asked Sean McVay at the Combine about, I said, that was a really classy thing you did to let LaFleur out of his contract to go be the offensive coordinator and play caller because McVay calls the plays. He said, truthfully, he's a really good friend of mine. 
and we just played the AFC South, if we were playing him this year, eh, I wouldn't have been so generous. Oh, there you go. He wouldn't have wanted to go against him. So he right. thinks he thinks Matt Lafleur, who was here for two years, is going to be a really good offensive coordinator when he's calling the plays. Well, we'll see because he hasn't done it, and you know they've talked about it, of course, with the Rams in those rooms. And here's what I would have called, and whatever. I don't know if he would come out and say it like that, but you know they have those kinds of discussions. When Kubiak was here and Kyle Shanahan was here, I mean Kubiak was a play caller, but he would say, "I'd eh, like." Let Kyle take a couple of series here and there. I mean, I, I don't know exactly how he delegated that sort of thing, but I think that that was a very hard thing for Gary Kubiak to let go of, calling plays. Every head coach who was an offensive coordinator who called plays wants to call plays. They just do. Mm-hmm. Defensive coordinators don't call plays when they're head coaches, just offense. Remember when the Texans beat the Bears here under Kubiak, Lovey Smith was the coach. And afterward, Gary comes in the news conference. He's got this smirk on. He said, I bet y'all didn't know. Let Kyle call the plays, did you? I said, well, how would we? You didn't tell us. And then I said, hey, if y'all would have lost, would you have come in here and told us that? Yeah. And he's like, of course. That was he 2008, the he season He would have taken the blame. Yeah. That was the season finale. It enabled them to go 8-8. Eight and eight. That was the five and one finish after they started three and seven that year. But it, it just, they just they love to do it. Mike Shannon told me when Kubiak was hired here, he'll start off wanting to do everything, but then he's going to learn. You have so much on your plate, you have to learn to delegate if you, if you want to have a chance to be successful. But I understand it because as a coach, you want control of the game. Now, defensive coordinator, you brought it up. They by and large tend not to do it that way. They don't call the defense and. I don't know why that would be one way with that type of position and not the other. Bill Belichick, though, you got a feeling that he's in on at very least the big calls with Matt Patricia last year and moving forward. What I like about Belichick in that two-part football life on NFL Network, which Mm -hmm. was fascinating. 2009 season. He was miked, and they were, were, you got to hear, Billy, let's do this, Billy. Billy, don't do that. Yeah. So Brian was calling the plays from the press box. And most head coaches will always listen. And if they want to change something, they'll change something. Right. And um You gotta have veto power. And um and I remember Jeff Fisher told me one time he'd say like, Okay, I tell him like, Okay, don't throw it here, run it. Or I don't care if it's an eight man front, run it. Didn't call the play, just call the strategy. And I don't know how many of them do that because we don't have access to it. But I know Bill O'Brien, he wants to know everything that's going on. So I know he, he keeps up with defense, special teams. I am doubt seriously he'll tell Romeo, don't do this, do that, because he has so much respect for Romeo Cornell, as everybody does. And with Brad Seeley coming in with special teams coaches, and Brad you know, was 10 years with the Patriots and won three Super Bowl rings, and I know O'Brien – really has a lot of trust in him. Mm-hmm. So he's got two seasoned coaches that he really respects. But, um, you know, there's people on the staff that will suggest things to O'Brien about calling. But, of course, he's the one that makes a call, and Watson being one of them. John, I know you get asked, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, but I, I just wanted to get your latest take now that OTAs and minicamp, they're in the rearview mirror. You're in that break between minicamp and training camp. You get asked about J.J. Watt, what your expectations are in 2018. And I really feel like, you know, he'll be back and he'll play. And my answer is it's just a matter of does he stay on the field? Because, you know, Watt, of course he'll be ready. Of course he's going to do everything humanly possible, maybe superhumanly possible to get ready. 
It's a 16-game schedule. We all know the pounding that he takes, double teams, whatever. It's going to be really interesting to see how he holds up against this. I mean, I don't think you know, when you look at a guy who's had two catastrophic injuries the way he has, I almost equate it to the way Brian Cushing had those injuries where they're just sort of freakish. It's not like, it's not like he just had this soft tissue running by himself sort of stuff. Still, you know he's going to get a lot of contact, a lot of attention, and you want to see how he holds up. He hasn't had that contact for most of the last two years, which is good for his body. Yeah. He hasn't been beaten up like he was the previous four years, especially the last three. And uh, unlike Brian Cushing, he doesn't have to run and cover. So if you have a problem with your wheel, like J.J. did, left leg broken, uh, you don't have to sprint and run after somebody. You know, he's chasing quarterbacks and running backs. I believe, based on what I've been told with people who have watched his rehab, they're really fired up. And a story I did on O'Brien, it's on TexasSportsNation.com, our website, that uh, Bill said, I feel good about J.J. because J.J. feels good about J.J. He has got a lot of confidence right now. And that comes from him seeing how well he's healed and how fast. And they say fast. I mean, he got hurt in the fifth game last year, yeah. so he's had a lot of time. And him and Clowney and Watson, Martin, all these guys who've been rehabbing, like Watson will be 100% before, you know, he could have done everything now. But there's no need to put him out there the first day camp and have him go full speed like the guys who were never hurt. It wouldn't make sense. And Bill has always been overly cautious on bringing back injured players. So there'll, I think there'll be people in the media, fans, they'll be like, oh, my God, Watt didn't practice today. Remember last year he practiced one, take off, practice two, take off. Yeah. I'm sure that's what they're going to do. There's What goods it do for him to be out on the practice field anyway? There's nothing Romeo Cornell's going to tell him he doesn't already know. And just being there. And soaking it all in, the mental part, that's that's important, and being out with his teammates. But And then Watson did a lot of things in 7-on-7 seven and seven in individual that he would have done in 11-on-11 situational football mm-hmm. without being in 11-on-11. Yeah. So he did a lot of things. His was mental. You know, that, that's being a second-year quarterback. That's so important for him. But – one reason that, that O'Brien is so happy and everybody says he floats around here, he's so happy, which he denies, of course, is uh, <laughs> is because, I mean, think about the situation. He's got Brian Gain, his general manager, his good friend. He's Bill got a four-year extension and a raise. And he's got Watson. He's got a kid that could be a phenomenal quarterback. The position is stabilized. And he, he told me, he said, this is great for our organization. And mm-hmm. um, he's not going to be too effusive until somebody's reached that elite stratosphere like Watt and Hopkins. But he is pumped. Mm-hmm. You know, he'll he'll play it down, but he's pumped about the possibilities. My thing about Watson is just watching him work out after practice with the trainers and all they're putting him through. I mean, when you watch one of those, you're thinking, okay, he's fine. Never mind the football stuff. <laughs> Somebody asked me, why is J.J. Watt playing golf when he's rehabbing a left leg, I said, well, first of all, he doesn't play it real well. I said, but, you know, he shot in, I think he tweeted he shot in 94 in Scotland. Mm. No, Ireland. It's not bad and on one of those said, courses. Well, it says the best he'd ever done. But just the fact that he can get out there and swing and walk and bend over and get the balls out shows you what great shapes he's in. Great. 
shape he is in returning from a broken leg. He would not be doing this if it were any kind of, of risk not. to him. Of course not. He hadn't had a back issue now in, in uh, over a year. If you're going to get hurt playing golf, you're going to get hurt doing anything. So. Year and a, year and, when, when did he have his back surgery? At the start of right after was the it? last back surgery was the second – month of last of the 2016 season yep. right yep yeah so his back has not been an issue at all he was and, swinging the bat last year at his charity softball game in the home run derby against leckler and doing fine i was watching it thinking oh he must be feeling a lot better well based wow. on based on things that he's doing in off season he's ready to go it's just a matter of when does bill turn him loose and he wouldn't if he'd never had a problem he's still not going to do much in preseason all right john mcclain and i continue our conversation What's going on north of the border? Because they're actually playing football right now and around the National Football League. We'll get to it on Texans All Access. Texans All John McClain in with us tonight on Texans All Access. Mark Vandermeer with you from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. General, do you watch CFL football ever? It's on this time of year. I do not watch CFL football, oh, but I'm playing, paying attention to it because of Johnny Manziel, but he's not playing. Mm. And June Jones is like, uh, he should be in the NFL. And I'm saying, well, if he can't beat out Jeremiah Mazzoli in Canada, why should he be in the NFL? Yeah, I believe at some point he's going to play, and then when he does, I'll certainly be watching well, you know what? When you watch CFL football, and I know a lot of listeners don't, but when you do, these offenses are no joke. I mean, you got to really understand what's going I on. I love it the way you can have multiple people in motion. I don't like that go, part. And they can go forward. They line up oh. the slots, and then boom, they go forward. That drives me nuts. It's Think like a read of football. Think how hard that is for defensive backs to have yeah. guys coming at you when they're running. Uh, have have running head starts. Well, when you only have three downs, you need some advantages. And then they have the uh, obviously the wider field, longer field, and everything like that. They have the Rouge. I actually enjoy It's funny because Andre, John Harris, and I, Andre Ware, John Harris, and I, we have this sort of text club when a CFL game is going on, and we'll text each other. Because this time of year, that's all you've got. The second training camp begins, that ends. But until then, it's football. It's a version of football. Anyway, and I never really watched the Arena League, although a lot of people are saying that the legalized gambling could bring it back. I don't know if that works or not. Well, we got the American Alliance coming yep. in the spring. Then we got the XFL coming in the yep. spring. Competition for the CFL. Yeah, it is actually for CFL and American television. They're trying to do their best to make it as palatable as possible. John, when does Tom Brady retire? Come on, give me a date. <laughs> Like tomorrow. I think that Tom Brady will play this season and next season, and at some point next season we'll start to see a little deterioration. Like he'll get rid of the ball quick. It won't get there as fast. Mm. More passes will get knocked down. I like this. Maybe intercepted. I like this week one, actually. He won't hit the wall, Mm -hmm. but uh, you'll see a gradual decline based on age. There's no shame in that. But remember – he just threw for 505 yards in the Super Bowl. Oh, my gosh. You're right. And uh, so the next time he's on the field, <laughs> his previous game will have been for 505 yards at, what was he, 40, 41? I can't remember. 40. And uh, so, unfortunately for the Texans, I don't think that that decline will be when they play them. But on the other hand, they had him beat last year. 
They did. Uh, defensively, it was they made some stops, but then at the end they couldn't make the stop when they needed it most. And I think that, you know, everyone looks at, well, you needed to score a touchdown instead of a field goal. Yeah, obviously that would have helped. That would have sealed the deal right there. But I still stand by what Bill O'Brien did in that game, forcing them to need a touchdown to beat you, and you had multiple plays you could have, would have, should have made. Hey, it's Tom Brady. He does it to a lot of teams. You know, I figured up this week the Texans could have, like, eight new starters. Both will be new safeties. You're going to have uh, Justin Reed and Tyron Matthew. Remember, Corey Moore didn't get over. He was a split second late on getting there for Brandon Cooks, and a lot of people think Cooks bobbled the ball. It wasn't a legit touchdown but nobody's going to change that in foxborough and so more had the would-be pick as well could oh, not come down true. with it it was yep. pretty tough to make that play the ball was out in a previous play it was I a mean, great throw by brady yeah and um, oh boy so the, the fact that they they came so close to beating them just as they did with seattle two of the greatest quarterbacks made miraculous comebacks that tells me that with deshaun watson playing the Texans are capable of beating anybody, anywhere, and I don't care who it is. Yeah. Well, like we said, it's going to be a tough schedule. We'll see how they handle it. But with me and Brady, me and Brady, John, I was talking to John Harris about this. Marino's last season, you could see that he was having inconsistencies. He was having a good game, a bad game. He could still be Marino on occasion, big comeback or something like that, a lot of yards, but then some other games it was starting to deteriorate. I know different era, different quarterback. Yeah, and he wasn't working with Alex Guerrero. Yeah, there wasn't that happening. And, but he wasn't as old as Brady either. I mean, at some point it goes for everybody, and we'll see what happens with what Tom Brady. What if he plays at least 45? Yeah, he, that's out there, but I just, I don't know. I didn't think he would play this long, so what should I say it about this? It seems to me that one of the reasons he didn't come to the offseason program, uh-huh. he wants to spend more time with his family. They did a lot of things together. It's he not did like, mention that. It's not like he was out on the West Coast with his friends out there and Giselle and the kids are in New York, and she's modeling. He spent a lot of time with his family, and they traveled. And and I think that's important to him. And since you can't do that during a regular season, why not take off and do it in the off season when you don't really need the mental part of the OTAs? John, who's the biggest challenge for the Patriots in the AFC East? I mean, Buffalo, you would say, based on record last year Nobody. and playoffs. Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> Nobody. Their biggest challenge in the AFC, I think, will be Pittsburgh. In the AFC. Yeah. But in the division, nobody's got a Nobody. shot. Nobody. When's the last time somebody, oh, when uh, Rex Ryan was coaching the Jets. Yeah. And the that, Dolphins got it once with Chad Pennington and Tony Sperano. Boy, that was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. Uh, a decade. The Sperano's were still on TV. <laughs> That's a different Sopranos? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I was thinking about this. Yeah, Tony Soprano and Tony Soprano. Yeah, and they were similar, actually. So, uh, although one of them's no longer with us. The 10 years ago thing, though, it's been 10 years since the Tennessee Titans have won the AFC South, and they did it with Kerry Collins and finishing 13-3. and three. Vince Young was on the team, but I think he was banged up that year, and Collins ended up playing, and they just hung on to him as the starter. Isn't that amazing, 13-3? and three? Yeah, uh, Jeff Fisher was still there. They got a lot of talent. John Robinson has get, done a good job in free agency in the draft, just as the Jaguars have. I think the Jaguars' undoing will be the lack of consistency with Blake Bortles. And that might affect them this that year. That could keep them, if the Titans 
and the Texans are stay healthy, then uh, I think they're going to put a lot of heat on them. Jacksonville has the best defense. Texans have the best offense. All right, so playing the NFC East, let's get back to this for a moment. Obviously, the best bounce-back opportunity belongs to the Cowboys, you would say, or is it not but obvious? But they were 9-7 last year, and with Ezekiel Elliott missing six games. And I think Elliott will lead the league in rushing again, and I think number two will be Saquon Barkley. But Elliott coming back and playing a full schedule, I, I'm going to pick them to win the division. Going into the NFC West here, the Rams. They put together a lot of pieces – acquisitions this offseason on an already good team. A lot of people are going to pick them to go to the Super Bowl. I'm not picking Pitts, Philadelphia because, you know, two times, nobody's yeah. repeated since Ted Johnson was with the Patriots. And the Rams, I th- I'm going to pick them. I just am to be different. The key is, will the 49ers be a wild card team? Because you look at the NFC South, which is probably the best division from top to bottom. Will there be a second team from the East? What about Minnesota and Green Bay with Rodgers back? The NFC is good, and it's deep. It is deep. The 49ers, you bring them up. You know, a lot of talk about Garoppolo having a bad practice or whatever in OTAs. Like, this is this is news this time of year. There's nothing else to talk about. Who cares? If Garoppolo gets picked off in practice, it makes national Somebody headlines. reported that they may have made a mistake with Mayfield because he didn't look good in an OTA. I'm thinking, how's, yeah. how stupid can you be? Yeah, well, I can tell you this. Last year at OTAs with Watson, he was a third-teamer. And not all the early practices looked so terrific. No. And then they started to look a whole lot better, and then we saw what we saw. He, he bypassed Brandon Whedon. Brandon was cut in the last roster reduction to 53. And then um, they started Savage, and the first chance Bill got, he put uh, Watson in, and the rest was history, at least for six starts. One other note I wanted to get you to elaborate on. You mentioned Vance Joseph being under a lot of pressure here. Who would take over in Denver? Because I'm hearing that Gary Gary Kubiak out of the scouting department. Well, here's the thing. I'm hearing Kubiak's at all the practices. He's talking to Musgrave a lot. He's out there doing his, not doing his thing, but he's out there real hands-on. You know, it's not just I'm in the scouting department. His presence is impossible to ignore on that Denver Broncos practice field. It's got to be tough for Vance in a way to see him looking over his shoulder. I don't know if Rhonda would let him do it. I'll go right there right now. I don't know if she would let him do it. I don't know if the doctors would let him do it. How many times do you need to be taken away in a stretcher from your workplace before you realize, you know, maybe I should not do this? And clearly he's made that decision. But you know he wants to coach. He was born to do it. Of course he does. And I don't know the best way for him to do it. Maybe he should be just running a franchise or something like that. But I'm sure he's aching to get back to it. Maybe not necessarily there because, you know, you hope for the best for Vance if you're a supporter of that cause. But uh, he's got the chops to do it, clearly. It's just a matter of health, and can he you know, maintain it if he's coaching? Fans and media would certainly want it. I think Gary's best chance, well, he could, he could have the job if he wanted it, but if Vance yeah. Joseph gets fired during the season, do you ask Gary, well, just take us through this season. Yeah, I don't but, know if you can do that. Uh, it's, you know, Gary hadn't been down there for the calls and terminology and all those things. I don't think they'd do it. I think they'd go with one of their coordinators. Yeah, probably do that. John, what do you have going on in the Chronicle? I believe my Brian Gain and Bill O'Brien season enders that were on Texas Sports Nation uh, are going to be in the Sunday Chronicle. Aaron Wilson has a Deshaun Watson story up on Texas Sports Nation. We are writing every day for Texas Sports Nation. There's not one day 
that we won't have multiple stories on there as we have on all their sports. And I I feel really good about my sit-downs with O'Brien and Gain. Looking back a lot with Brian Gain's first off season, but with Bill O'Brien mainly looking ahead. John, thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you very much, Mark. That's the General John McClain. That's the show. Thanks so much for listening. This will be available on iTunes and HoustonTexans.com and tune in and wherever fine podcasts are available. And go check out all the other podcasts as well, the Deep Slant, the In the Lab podcast, and the Vandermeer's View stuff up there as well. Have a great evening, everyone, and go Texans.